You're listening to the awesome Podcast Network. This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. Thousands of kids were traumatized for the rest of their life. Welcome back, everybody, to 80s Revisited. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Harris. With me, as always, a non-tuned producer, at least as far as I know. I've never seen him run over by a steamroller. Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. Oh, my God! <laughs> no, welcome back. I didn't... I As we... Cause we record these two, two in a row, and I forgot last week to say what we're doing this week. Uh, but this week, we're going to do another list because they're so much fun and easy to do when you're busy at work for the week. Uh, the top 10 traumatizing moments in movies for 80s kids. Uh, so we already have one in content- one contender that we opened the episode with. So uh, let's see where they fall. But uh, just an uh, overview on it. These, there are tons of movies in the 80s that have terrifyingly horrible things in them that would scare a child. Fly 2, The Fly. A lot of, like, you know... Uh, more adult movies. This is strictly the criteria for this list is strictly movies for kids. Uh, you know, no R's. Mm. Uh, actually, I think everything on this list is PG. I believe I'm pretty sure. Yep, everything on this list is PG. So these are all from movies that your parents would have said, "Oh yeah, let's go see that movie," and then you walk away like, "Oh my god, I'm I'm I I'm terrified <laughs> for the rest of my life," or you will always remember this moment. You know, these are the films that have moments where you're just like, "Yep." Oh, that's a movie where this happens. Yeah, I remember that. You remember that part of that movie because ah, it... So much pain. As a kid. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we're going to do 10 of them. Uh, yeah, like a, uh, something else I want to say, but I forgot. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we do honorable mentions at the end, but we'll do our top 10 first. So read along at home, or follow along at home. <laughs> but uh, when, I, when I first thought about this, I was like, okay, I can name... I can name 10 movies as a kid that I saw that had parts that, like, stuck with me. Right. You know, either emotional or terrifying. But then as I was writing them down, like, okay, well, for, okay, that's not 80s, that's 70s, that's early 90s, et cetera, et cetera. That's an R-rated movie. But I wanted to make it streamlined, because I hope most of the listeners here that appreciate this podcast are people who grew up in during the 80s. So most of the films that were geared towards us had these fucked up things in them. <laughs> so that's why I wanted to keep it. In that I remember kind of criteria. one I'm going to hold back for, till he mentions. Oh, really? Yeah. We'll get there. Well, let's get started. Number 10 on the countdown, one of the highest grossing movies of the 80s, none other than Steven Spielberg's E.T., The Extraterrestrial. Now, if you're familiar with this film, you probably already know what part I'm talking about. Uh, it would definitely be the part where Elliot's looking for E.T. E.T.'s missing, and he's riding his bike. And he comes along a ditch, and the camera pans down, and there is an E.T. lying in the ditch, dead, turning gray and decaying in front of your eyes. And then they haul the body back, put him on the operating table, and try to save him, and he dies. Now, as a kid, I emotionally hated this part of the movie. Uh, so much like when I would had it on VHS, and I would, when it got to that part, nope, I fast forward to the part where the, he comes back, after he comes back, and they're escaping. 
because I can't <laughs> deal with that as a kid. As a four-year-old kid, nope, don't want to see it. Traumatized me for a long time. <laughs> uh, not as much as the director's version of the film and the whenever it was where they changed the guns to walkie-talkies. That's way right. more disturbing than this. Yeah. But uh, revisiting this moment because we covered ET on the podcast. Yeah. It's as an adult, no biggie. <laughs> but as a kid watching, you know, this creature that you've become attached to and formed an emotional bond with, die. And like an a, old piece of poop. <laughs> he looks like a dry dog turd. <laughs> Yeah, just like, oh, God. Like, and of course, you know, when you're a kid growing up and you're watching this movie, you have no conception as an adult, like, oh, he's not dead. Right. You know, you know he's not dead as an adult when you watch this. But as a kid, I thought, that, like, well, I guess the movie's over. Like, he's <laughs> dead. Like, you know, it hurt to watch it as a kid. And, you know, and that scene, that specific scene is when, when it shows him in the ditch lying dead. Like, that always stuck with me because I was just like, yeah, it's lovable. There's somebody threw this puppet out of a truck, and he's laying there in the <laughs> rain. It was just like terrible. And to bring it on home, like I had a, one of my dogs was killed that way. Like he wanted back in when I was a kid. We lived in Walker, Louisiana, where they didn't even have a McDonald's or anything. When I was a kid, woods everywhere. You know, it was open. Yeah, we didn't have to lock our dogs up. We just let them out. Well, unfortunately, one of my dogs wandered too far, and one of my neighbors, actually one of my school friends, shot him. And his body oh. threw his body in the ditch. So I actually found a dog, one of my dogs, dead in a ditch, the same way Elliot found ET, except shot. Yeah, yeah. And it was way harder. All of my dogs. <laughs> Those hit tears my cars were real. Stuff. Those tears yeah. were real at that moment. Yeah. So this part always, even today, it resonates with me more so because of the real world likeness that I remember. Like it, make, it doesn't make me remember how I felt as a kid when I see this scene. It reminds me of the real life version of looking for my dog for a week and then finally finding him in the bottom of a ditch, a deep ditch, like. A flight of the navigator, like deep ditch. Like if I fell on there, it'd be hard to climb out unless somebody, you know, a tree root or branch or whatever. So number ten mm. from ET, Elliot finds ET's body. All right, number nine. Moving on to number nine. Now this one, we opened the movie or the episode with a scene from the, this very movie. But to me, that wasn't the scene that always disturbed me from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It was more so the scene where Judge Doom, in all of his villainy, as only Christopher Lloyd could do, a man playing a cartoon who, Christopher Lloyd is uh, still not convinced he's not a tune in real life because of how great of an actor and, uh, he is in terms of his characters, uh, takes an innocent little cartoon shoe and, tor- <laughs> and slowly dissolves him inch by inch, centimeter by centimeter, in the dip, and that, sh- and the animation on that shoe, even when you yeah. watch it today, that thing is in pain. Look. Of course, it's it's just a movie, blah blah blah, and you know, obviously it's a cartoon, but I believe that that thing was like being euthanized in a horrible, horrible way as a kid. The uh, the scene we open with, you know, Judge Doom. Uh, Wait till they get a lot of. I mean, wrong, you know. I talk just like this. That's like a lot of a lot of people like as a kid were scared of that scene. That scene didn't bother me. I was like, oh, you motherfucker, you're, yeah. you're going to die now. You're going to get your own medicine after what you did that poor shoe. <laughs> but for me personally in Roger Rabbit, it was a scene with that poor defenseless little shoe. All the other ones get away, but he picks that one. Huge, <laughs> you know, expressive eyes, like, and it's even yeah, cringing, it's like, as it gets close. I mean, it's, it's terrible. It's a horrible scene. <laughs> it's the equivalent, like, in Chappie where, you know, they're basically a child abandonment except it's a robot with a child mentality so you can get away with it right but it's still fucking disturbing <laughs> he's killing an animal here or you know a, a creature here so 
Number nine, of traumatizing. Of his own kind, even. Yeah, exactly. It makes it even worse in hindsight when yeah. you know that he's a tune. You're like, yeah, I don't care. This is what I'm going to do to all tunes. Yeah. Hope my, I hope I don't get dipped one day. But, of course, Doom gets it the same way, slowly yeah. melting in the dip. So he got his just desserts. Moving on to number eight. Now, this one, there's uh, like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, there's a couple of scenes in this movie that disturbed kids. The Again, the one that, as a child, that stood out more to me was not the one that most people, when you bring up this film, tend to think about. And we're talking about Poltergeist. So automatically, you might be thinking of the clown popping out of the closet. Most people think of that scene, and that's the one they're like, oh, yeah, the clown, I hate clowns, blah, blah, blah. A lot of kids in our age, you know, that grew up in our time, uh, this, along with it in the early 90s, completely swore people off of clowns. Uh, not killer clowns in outer space, because I don't think that really scared anybody from clowns. Uh, but yeah, Pol- but uh, my, the scene in Poltergeist that terrified me was the scene where the guy's dreaming in the bathroom and he's, that he's ripping his face off. One of the most graphic effects in a PG movie for a mm-hmm. kid. This day, in this day and age, that scene would have to be cut to avoid like an R rating. Uh, you know, because mm. in basically in PG thir- the difference between PG thirteen and R is like showing people like humans get shot. For example, Suicide Squad is PG thirteen because they're not shooting humans with bullets; they're shooting you know creatures. Yeah, PG. So it can get away with it. Whereas if Poltergeist in its original form was re-released today, that movie would be R. Without I mean, honestly, I believe this scene getting cut out. Yeah, with the face ripping, the guy sticks his hands all up in his face, peels them out. I had nightmares about that as a kid. A couple of times, like, you know, people ripping their faces off and horrible, terrible things in this kid's movie. Granted, the movie's called Poltergeist, but hey, it's a PG movie in the 80s, so <laughs> they'd show it at daycare even, you know? I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't like today, where uh, most PGs are, you know, pretty tame. Like, uh, I think, uh, you know, it's more so... Any, any of these films today that were PG in the 80s would definitely most likely be PG-13 today. 100%. Uh... Except possibly this next one. Uh, moving on to number seven. Uh, you know, this list is a combination, again, of things that are truly horrifying to see or hear in addition to things that are incredibly emotionally sad. And, you know, there's, there's several scenes in movies that are like that, but this one struck home similar to how the Roger Rabbit one did. And this is the scene from actually the movie we're going to be fully reviewing next week, so we won't dwell on this part too, too much for this countdown. Uh, But it's the scene from Transformers the movie where Optimus Prime dies. And when he died in this film, he didn't come back at the end like in most other, like any movie nowadays, in Transformers, Michael Bay Part 2, which the best part of Transformers the movie 2 was basically the scene where Optimus dies. Because it was dramatic, it was handled well, but... He came right back. Optimus Prime didn't come back till like seasons later in the cartoons. Uh, this commercial is awesome that you're watching right yeah, now. What the hell? <laughs> this is the one I asked for. <laughs> it's uh, Stan Bush, the Touch Transformers movie soundtrack version, 1986 plus Power Master Optimus Prime. Uh, you got to see it. <laughs> it's it's pure 80s. Every time you watch Transformers, it's transforming your day into the, an adventure. But yeah, uh, we'll talk more about the other aspects of Transformers movie next week. But the scene where Optimus dies, where you're watching basically 
robots don't have a heartbeat, but you're watching the monitors flatline. Oh, yeah, And yeah. he turns in gray, and then, like, I think he crumbles. It's been so long since I've seen that scene. It was the Goldbergs had a whole episode about that. <laughs> really? Like, like even our, our friend John, Jonathan Foreman with Now Versus Star Wars, like, dude, you got to watch the Goldbergs. Well, like, it, it was a cool episode because he was dealing with Optimus's death, and so... He started doing all these things with his grandpa because he thought he was going to die soon. Gonna, it's so awesome. I understand that. I, I, I need to watch this show. Like, yeah. I hear all these like, oh yeah, they got all these episodes about all the stuff. Your same stuff you're talking about loving and all that. Like, I, I need to like yeah. download those seasons. But, yeah, because yeah. they're sitting in theaters like, oh, he's coming back, and then the lights come on. He's like, what the hell? <laughs> he's dead. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the thing. As a kid, again, you you know, when you watch as an adult, when you watch, you know, as if I watched Transformers the movie for the first time today, I'd be no doubt in my mind he's coming back. Yeah. Like, they wouldn't kill off Optimus Prime. Nah, dude's dead. <laughs> in Transformers, the movie, Optimus Prime is dead. And as a kid, and, and, and granted, it's a cartoon. That's mm-hmm. like, you know, in Bambi, the mom dies, and it's sad. But it's not the main. She wasn't the lead, It's yeah. the, not the only, you know, the number one character. Optimus Prime straight up gets killed. <laughs> and, and, like, there's no coming back. Like, like, he does come back in the cartoon, obviously, but it's much later. Mm-hmm. The movie didn't cheap out. One of the reasons it's an amazing movie, and it's a, it's an '80s cartoon movie, like tried and true. I mean, the Optimus dies, other Autobots die. It's an epic scale Transformers movie. Yeah, it's still the best Transformers movie ever made. But more on that next week. But yeah, Optimus Prime dying every time. Got to fight mm-hmm. back a tear. Uh, but moving on, uh, number six, almost halfway there. But this one is another one when you think, if you ask people what's the scariest moments from 80s films, this one pops up all the time. This this is probably a lot of people's number one. But again, this is the ones that affected me the most that stayed with me into an adult. As a kid, it really didn't scare me to where like I would skip this part or fast forward past it, per se. But uh, we're talking about Pee-wee's big adventure, of course, Large Marge. Uh, it was 18, 30 years ago this very night. Uh, but, you know, the great... Uh, that movie's on Netflix, too, by the way. So if you haven't seen it in a long time, watch it repeatedly. Uh, me and Autumn, a couple Saturdays ago, we just got up and I was just putting on a movie for, uh, you know, just ba- while we're eating our breakfast and then we're going to go about our day. While I put on Pee-wee's Big Adventure, we didn't move until the movie was over. Because <laughs> that movie's that good. It's just so... It's a fun movie. But the large Marge part, I remember as a kid being like, oh, that's awesome. You know, I love that part because it was so, like, crazy. Uh... Where Al did a similar thing in UHF where Philo does a large Marge type face before zooming back to his home planet. Uh, <laughs> it just making me think of the movie, the chase scene in the movie. Uh, but yeah, like a lot of people, like when you when they think about Pee Wee, they think about the movie. They think this that's their point of reference. To me, it's my favorite part of the film is still the the barroom scene with the bikers and the tequila dance, and Elvira cameos in that part as well. Oh, here's Large Marge now. Thanks for stopping. She doesn't speak much, but when she does, it carries great weight. On this very night, <laughs> ten years ago. Ten years ago, I was way off. Along the same <laughs> so great, but in fact, uh, Daniel, the original co-host of '80s Revisited, who's still alive, everybody, just you know, uh, working hard for provide for his family. Uh, this was, a, I think, this was probably his most disturbing scene in any movie ever. He mentioned it all the time. About how it always like scared him as a kid, as it did <laughs> many other people. Large Marge, number six. There's five other people that Trey thinks as a kid scared him more than Large Marge. Yeah, because this didn't scare me as a kid. Uh, but now these top, these five that we're getting into now, these are the actual ones that 
as a kid, like truly, like I had, these are the scenes I turned my head from when I rewatched these films, or I skipped it completely because it was terrifying to me. Mm. And number five, actually, kind of probably not on many people's list, but number five is actually Ghostbusters. And the scene I'm talking about though is the library ghost from the beginning uh, when she's sitting there, you know, shh, you know, get her. And then she turns into that demon thing. As a kid, that scared the shit out of me. <laughs> I would like, whenever that scene came, and they, when they're going like, one, two, three, get her, I would always look away as a child watching this on VHS. Then as an adult, like, it's still pretty terrifying. <laughs> I think it's the scariest <laughs> thing in the movie in terms of, like, you know, scares. But as a kid, when she, like, roars or whatever she does and her deformed titties come out of her thing and everything, <laughs> I mean, it's, it was exceptionally exceptionally frightening for me as a kid to where like I said fast forward or look away <laughs> equally as frightening but I ranked it one higher because it was so damn creepy and it lasted longer than just two seconds on screen was Return to Oz uh, we talked about this when we covered this one on the podcast but it was the wheelies good god I remember sitting in the theater watching this scene and like the second he comes around the corner with his little mask on the top of his head I immediately like Oh my! I was terrified and like <laughs> shrunk in my seat. Get them off the screen. And a, and then like you know they're, you hear that squeaking of their wheels like, and then like he comes around the corner like Ugh! I'm like oh my god. Now granted, Return to Oz is a terrifying film <laughs> for kids. Period. Uh, it's another one of those. There's multiple scenes like I uh, believe when we talked about it. I think your wife just uh, Melissa was talking about it with us on that episode if I remember correctly. Oh yeah. And she was terrified of Mombi taking her head off. You know, that's yeah. that's terrifying, too, for a kid's movie. Mm. You know, not disputing that, but for me, it was always the wheelies. Uh, not so much when, like, they have their real face and they just look like a clown, but when they have their, like, little mask on top of their head, like, looking down, rolling around, that terrified... I was, like, creepiest thing I'd ever seen in my <laughs> life at that point. Terrified me completely. Be a cool costume. Exhausting. Yeah, cool. yeah, all fours, like, <laughs> balancing all night. Like, yeah. hey, push me this way, push me this way. <laughs> well, you wouldn't have to. I mean, you get up. You have to like your back feet like a skateboard or something to where like you. Yeah, that. Uh, wee. And then, maybe. <laughs> how did he die? Well, he was a wheelie, probably. Yeah. <laughs> how did that other person die? Well, he was traumatized by that movie yeah. as a kid, and when he saw him come around the corner in the costume, he had a heart attack. <laughs> Could definitely happen to me. Yeah. All right, top three, everybody. I'm sure now if you keep it up with the list, there's. I could have done easily done, like done top twenty-five. I like opened it to other things, but again, like I said, I kept it ten. Mainly for kids' movies or, you know, movies that children watched a lot of and grew up with in the 80s. So, number three, uh, none other than Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yep, that scene. The screaming, melting Nazis at the end. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I grew up in the 80s, of course, watched plenty of horror movies as well. Uh, this was probably the most disturbing, one of the most disturbing scenes I ever saw as a kid in the film to where when. Uh, I forget the the guy, gla, the guy with the glasses who has his hand burned by the amulet. I forget his name. It's like Tah or something like that. Mm. Uh, but it's more so when he's melting because he's like scream mouth wide agape like ah! <laughs> and just slow. You know that Spielberg doesn't shy away. It shows them melting. Yeah, he paid for it. <laughs> he's gonna show it. The thing is, I saw like online like some or I think it was an Etsy thing or somebody just made it. They weren't selling them, but they made a candle of him. So as it melts, it reveals yeah. the skull. Like I was like, I have to have one, but no, they're not actually selling them. So oh. if, you, if you're that person, I'll buy one from you. <laughs> uh, awesome. But yeah, that scene, I remember going over to like one of my aunt's house for like 4th of July, and that was on, and they were watching that in the room, and I happened to walk in on the scene, 
Mm. And like I jumped when I walked in the room because it was that scene. Like, ah, and I walked out because <laughs> it's too much. I'm not ready. You know, as a, as a you know, five year old kid, that scene. I mean, it's still like that. It's it's graphic. When you watch today, it's graphic. It's very yeah. It's like, I mean, it's it's slow. Uh, their faces are burning off, and it's not like Terminator Two, where like you know she's on fire screaming, and then it's a skeleton. No, flesh, blood, bone, muscle, <laughs> eyeballs. You know, yeah. Like it's so graphic. Horrible. Like, it's one of the most... I think it's, t- it's still one of the goriest effects in any 80s movie. Yeah. This side of the fly, I think. Teaches a lesson, though, you know? If yeah. you find an Don't arc. mess with the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> Don't fucking open it. <laughs> At all, you know? Yeah, but number three. All right, number two. Arguably the saddest moment in movie history and completely traumatizing. Even when I watch this film today, knowing in the end that everything's all right, this scene is still fucking heartbreaking. I'm sure you probably guessed it if you know me and listen to this podcast. It's the never-ending story, and it's the swamp of sadness with our tech sinking. Don't do this to me, Jesse. I understand. It's so sad. God! The, I mean, this is a scene where, like, the music, the visuals, and that poor kid who nearly drowned making this scene as well. It's just... Ugh. And that horse, best act, she got Best Supporting Actor that year at the Oscars, because that horse, when it's up to his neck in that sinking stuff, that look on his face... It's like the shoe getting dipped. It's absolute terror. Because he thought he, he was thought dying. He thought he was dying. He's a method actor. He, l- learn from him, Jared Leto. That's how you method act. You actually almost die. That's a reference from last yeah. week. <laughs> I'm sure if you're listening to this episode, you probably listened to last week's, I would hope. Yeah. Unless you, you know, iTunes searched traumatizing movies and this came up. So, yeah. Uh, and this scene holds up to me uh, as just being an emotionally packed scene. He's, you know, this, the horse, you know, it. He's, the kid is screaming his guts off. Good acting on his part. He's a tattoo artist in L.A. now. Uh, we talked about that on the episode we reviewed. Look at that horse. He's fucking terrified. Fades to black. What's the next shot? Him staring at the puddle like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, who didn't lose an animal? And then, like, when I, when I was a kid, like, I mentioned the dog that, you know, I found dead. Like, I went and got his, me and my dad got his body, took him home and buried him. And, like, I was sitting, like, you know, staring at it like, God, I'm so, you know, this is so sad, blah, blah, blah. Like, er- every kid's been there. Sorry to say, it's a part of life. But... I don't, you know, Old Yeller dies, it's sad. Uh, whatever other, you know, any kind of animal movies, the animal usually dies at the end, it's always sad. This one, still to this day, is just like heartbreaking every time because it's done so well. But thankfully, because of Bastion stopping the nothing, when there was only one grain of Fantasia left, thankfully he just got up and said a damn name after all that prodding. Everything's back to normal. Artex is riding the planes with Atreyu, and everything's fine. But that doesn't affect the fact that this scene is still fucking heartbreaking. <laughs> so number one, what could it be? There's a lot of good things left off. A lot of people, oh, it has. To, it must be this. This has to be Trey's number one. Nah, it is a movie we covered on the podcast, and it's as a kid, it wasn't as terrifying as it is to me, arguably today, because of how it's done. And we talked about it extensively when we reviewed it. It's Superman three, and it's the horrible, terrifying scene where the woman gets sucked into the computer and turned into a robot. It is still, to this day, like, uncomfortable to watch. Not, a, not, li- not the Superman theme, because that's inspiring and lifting. Sure. But this scene, and the music's important, because this scene, there is no music. It's this uh, woman screaming as this machine is violating her and turning into a robot. And the effects, stop-motion-esque, I mean, it's just fucking creepy. We covered it in-depth on that episode, but that, to me, is the number one moment. When I think of, like horrible like moments in kids movies and I know and the thing is I know for a fact a lot of kids saw Superman because Superman I mean there are four of them 
people saw them. You know, they were big. They made uh, good bank. Well, Superman 3 was the first one to make a, as much money as the other ones. But, uh, you know, a lot of kids saw these movies. A lot of kids saw this scene, and this is out of place for a child's movie. Is this the right scene? Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. It's when she's running out. But, I mean, it's just, even today, it's just like, like you don't even see scenes like, scenes like this in current movies, sci-fi movies. Like, you know, Alien is a good similar scene, but Alien was rated, Aliens was rated R when the chick's busting out. But see, here it is. Terrifying. I mean, she's ble- like, you know, nope. Sorry, bitch, you're a robot. No music. And she comes out and tries to kill people. Terrifying. Still terrifying today because the effects are so are practical. It looks bizarre. It, and it's silly. But damn, that scene is effective in what it does. And like, hey, Jesus Christ, don't, you don't want that to happen. <laughs> you know, it, it scares you from getting sucked into computers. So that was my number one. Of course, I know a lot of people probably disagree a lot. And... You know, with, prom- with top ten lists, everybody's prone to say, "Oh, that was why was that number nine? That should well, have been number tell one." Tell us what yours is. Exactly. Let us know. We're not saying any of these are better than the others. This is all my individual nostalgia growing up and how these scenes affected me. There's and many such. ways they can contact us. Exactly. Eighties revisit at gmail.com, at awesome pods on Twitter and awesome pods on Facebook. Awesomepods.com. It's like there's too many ways. Yeah. You think they do it one way? So do or it. leave a review on iTunes. One star. That's mm-hmm. no way. That's the most traumatizing thing I've ever seen. Or you can say, or you five, can say five stars on the show, but I disagree yeah. with this. Yeah, either way. However you want to do it. We're more, more, more prone to uh, agree with you. Yeah. Five stars. <laughs> we can be greased slightly. <laughs> yeah. Except if you're Jared Leto, because you can go to fucking hell. Yeah. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> now, of course, we like I said, we narrowed this, this down to my 10. This is, you know, because this is 80s Visited. It's my show with Jesse producing. Mm-hmm. You know, but so this is my personal ones. But there were plenty that I left off the list that didn't, you know, that I know... A lot of other people thought of or like might think of when you think of traumatizing moments. Excuse me, from kids' movies. And like I said, if we're doing an R-rated list, you know, we're, with any movie from the 80s, it could be a 50-item uh, list Yeah, for that part. But again, kids' movies. But uh, some honorable mentions, and I remember, just speak up, Jesse, when it's the one that you want to talk about. But uh, as well, uh, Neverending Story. I know a lot of people were terrified of Gamork, where he comes out at the end, that wolf. Yeah, it's, it's scary, but I mean, by that point, I was just like, you're part of the nothing. That's what killed Artex. Get him a tray, you. Yeah. I was beyond fear. My sadness had made me beyond fear. I wouldn't have, like, I would have, like, if I was a Treyu, I would have sunk in the swamps of sadness because Artex was dying. Mm. I wasn't that strong. But after that, you know, the strength to go on wouldn't have sank a bit. Yep. But anyway, uh, another honorable mention Indiana Jones again. But this one, The Temple of Doom, another one of one of the most graphic effects in mm. any child's movie. Molaram rips out a dude's heart. Still a fantastic effect and still my personal finishing move. Whenever I wrestle with my wife, when she's bothering me and I want to end a, you know, she's messing with me. It's just like, Kalima. She immediately yes. shuts up because she knows I will rip her fucking heart out. Not right. really. But I mean, you just put, just like he does, you just put your hand on their chest and just push your fingers in. It Oops. hurts if you do it hard enough. In fact, me and my brother were growing up. That, that was my finishing move with him as well. Like if we were wrestling, like Kalima, Kalima, and he'd freak out and run away. So it worked for that too. Uh, also, on another honorable mention, another film we covered on the pond, uh, podcast, but Gremlins, Stripe Dying. Uh, very similar in terms of graphically in, uh, graphically as in like the graphicness of the death, him slowly melting because of the sunlight beaming on him. Uh, very, there he is. See, it, it, they, had, they had to see that scene. They had to recognize the scene at the end of Raiders and be like, okay, almost, Stripe's going to melt. It's going to be like that in the Raiders. It's got to be graphic. He's going to slowly melt and... All his skin's gonna melt off, and his eyeballs melt out, and then he pops up again, like still alive. 
terrifying. And especially, the Gremlins is such a great film as well because you, know, you have Gizmo, you have the cute versions. But then the Gremlins themselves have such personality to where like they're not really scary because you know, they have popcorn bags on their ears and in part two they dress in drag and all sorts of crazy stuff to where they're entertaining. But that was when, that was a scene where they got scary, where he pops up and he starts melting like, ugh. So a lot yeah. of people, I know that's a, a big moment where some people uh, that scared him as a kid. Uh, another sad moment, Land Before Time, Littlefoot's mom dies. That's mm. definitely sad. Definitely sad. Not as sad as Artex sinking in the swamp, though. <laughs> so, or uh, e. T., Elliot finding E.T.'s body to me. So uh, uh, this one is actually from our brother. Uh, in Tim Burton's Batman, there's that scene where uh, after Joker kills Jack Palance's character, he's sitting in the dark and he gets the newspaper with the blood on and he wipes it away and he goes, eh, wait till they get a load of me. Uh, but that scene terrified my brother to where he would look away. He didn't want to see his face when he starts laughing. No, here it is right here. The great Jack Nicholson. Wait till they get a load of me. And he starts laughing and terrified my brother. And to where, like, I could say that line and he would be like, stop it, stop it. It would creep him out. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, you'd follow Ooh. up with that. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> That's a fucking joker, man. Fuck you, Jared Leto. <laughs> Gangsta, insane clown, posse, jug, jug. You know, I, want, I wanted the Joker, and we got the Juggalo. That's a good way to put Suicide Squad. Uh, more on that last week. So listen to that one if you didn't. Uh, mentioned Ro- we opened with Roger Rabbit with the Judge Doom reveal. That was a big one. A lot of people scared him to death when he turns around. And his eyeballs are animated, and he screams in that high pitched scream. Uh, this one, this one's almost dethroned uh, Finding E.T.'s body for me. But in the Dark Crystal, the Skeksis, incredibly creepy. The puppets still are creepy today. Uh, the movie doesn't hold up as good as well as Labyrinth does, in my opinion. Uh, we haven't covered it on the podcast yet, so there's a sneak preview for whenever we cover that one. But uh, the Skeksis were definitely creepy, especially the old, old one. Uh, especially because they're, you know, it's practical. They're on set. They're re- they're they're real. You know, in the sense of you could touch them if you were on set. Just so, like vultures. Yeah, basically, <laughs> that's basically what they are: giant, sentient vultures that are killing everything. <laughs> they're terrifying in their own right. Uh, and I mentioned before, Poltergeist, the closet clown. That's a big one for a lot of people, uh, more so than the one that you know more so affected me with the, the ripping his face off because that was exceptionally graphic, mm. as we talked about before. And finally, honorable mention: uh, the last unicorn when the Red Bull kills all the unicorns. Uh, that's a we covered that not too long ago on the podcast in Animation Month. Yeah, and that's a, I was terrified of the Red Bull as a kid. That one stuck to me like as well. Like I always remembered until we, as we talked about in the episode when we revisited it. I always remember the Red Bull chasing the unicorn and as a villain. It was terrifying to me mm. as a kid. But for me, mine wasn't a film. Well, it was a, uh, it was a filming of a uh, magic show. It was old VHS from the 80s. But there was this one act. It was like a, um, it was like a variety show, a bunch of different acts coming up. But mm-hmm. this one act. On television you saw this? Or? No, no, VHS tape. Like someone like got somebody recorded off television. Yeah. Though, or... I, I had gotten the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles tour, and my brother had gotten this magic tape. <laughs> So I was watching this magic tape, and it was pretty early into it. I don't remember anything else about it, but it's here. It's yeah. here in my memory. Yeah. I'm pointing at my head. Um, the guy puts this woman in a box, and they light the box on fire, and they're like, ooh, it's, it's burning up. And uh, after they put the fire out, they open it, and there's just a skeleton in there. <laughs> 
it and that's like, it. No it trick. She it never seems comes like back. I've seen something like that before. That sounds familiar to me. She never comes back. Yeah, like, or, I don't remember her coming back. Yeah, as a, I could see that. Like, I've seen something like that. Like, that, that rings familiar in, like, my gray matter. Like, like I've seen that, murder. Like, that joke before or something. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, wasn't the Turtles tour thing not... Scary as well, how the turtles look. <laughs> Not by comparison. Not by comparison to a, a the, burned woman. A I had the two side alive. by side. I was like, this is okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Speaking <laughs> of like, this was a real botchmatic trick. It was on, uh, I guess I saw a nine gag or something, but the guy was doing a trick to where they had a nail on a, on a board and they had three paper bags and he showed the nail, like showed it, was, showed it was real, put the nails facing up in a bag and then mix them up and put them on the table. Like, okay, what we're going to do, you're just going to take your hand and slam it on the bag like this and he does one. Oh, and then he's yeah. doing it with reporters, and this woman's like, she's like, I'm not doing it. That's scary. He's like, come on, just do it here. Let me see your hand. And he holds her wrist, and he slams her hand down on a bag. It's the one with the nail. Yeah. And he's That's like, a bad magician. The, yeah. The magician should always put themselves in the danger. Yeah. You know, never just put somebody else and just be the guy that's waving his hands. But as I'm watching, I'm like, oh, this must be the joke. She has to be in on it. It must be a joke. And she's like, he's like, I, nope. uh, he's like that's not <laughs> supposed to happen. Uh, sorry, uh, we need help here. We need help. And that guy's hair was like... <laughs> He had like no. the mullet, like the ponytail, like tight <laughs> mullet. It was yeah, it was funny. So YouTube that if you want to see something see that. horrible. And, and, and yeah. the, the bad thing, like there was two anchors. I imagine he was gonna have them both do it. And it's the woman that he had to do it with the he nails. He should have so done like, it. He yeah. should have had her push his hand. Because yeah, if you're gonna no, there's real danger involved. And in, that guy was a dick. <laughs> <laughs> but also, if you know what Jesse was talking about. Let us know, 80srisit.com, the link. Yeah, I don't or something know if you can find, find it. That. I swear I've seen something like that before. Yeah. So it, it rings familiar to me, too. It might, it might not be the same thing, but I'm sure <laughs> that's a gag that might have been done with maybe Ruby Kobe or the amazing Jonathan as well or something, maybe. Because they all steal each other's acts sometimes. Yeah, this one, I just remember it being like different <laughs> magicians on the show, and that's how he ended it. And I was like, all right. <laughs> That, I mean, why did that do not become insanely popular? Because that's genius, you know. Like it's so funny. Like uh, so then the She's next, dead. so then the next trick. Uh, okay, well, uh, I need another volunteer. You Amazing know, I mean? Jonathan, I could see that, but yeah. I mean, yeah, it just wasn't presented as a. Yeah, like, it was. Just, it was like, presented. Like, oh shit! Hundred yeah. percent serious. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. That's so great. <laughs> and it's, uh, I get the. I get that. You know, it's like that's. That's my fucking humor, man. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, it's funny now. But yeah. back in the day. <laughs> kid, like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, back in the day, it was a little different. <laughs> uh, speaking of magic, uh, Magic Secrets Revealed is on Netflix. I remember watching those in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, the whole series is on Netflix. I could do without the voiceover guy, though. Mitch Pileggi? What? Are, yeah, he's, he's like, the guy from uh, Shocker and X-Files. Skinner. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, that is him. Um, it's I bad. hate the script. Yeah. I don't mind him. It's just the script he has. It's like all these things like, well, I guess he won't be doing the end oh, yeah. of the show now. Yeah, like, I guess the mass media, Every trick, like, I guess he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe not. It's just like... Come like, on. Again, the dancers dance around. We're not watching it for that. We yeah. just want to know how it's done. It's like... I, I completely agree. Because <laughs> uh, before they were on Netflix, it's, I have this pattern. Whenever I like search for something on the deep web, like something that is not on DVD... It's nowhere to be found. I have to go like deep to find like somebody with a copy of it. Mm-hmm. It eventually shows up on Netflix two weeks later. Yeah, I literally found and downloaded like all the series of that. Oh wow! VHS quality copies, and then now it's in HD on yeah. fucking Netflix. I don't want to watch it again. <laughs> you know, it's not worth rewatching. I just want to watch it and remember it when I was a kid. You know, yeah. watching all the tricks and everything because that was a big deal. Like when those came out, I was like, who is the masked magician? You know, who's betraying the magician's secrets? 
And it's mm-hmm. some dude, and I remember the- like, Some random dude. Even they finally revealed, it is I, Valentino. And I'm, me and my brother were like, who? Who? Like, because <laughs> I thought it was Lance Burton. Like, because he did a similar act. Right. Like, where he had, like, a similar, like, fake mask like that. Like, a sword fighting act where he was actually fighting himself. It was a good trick. Yeah. It was actually on a Nickelodeon thing with Mark Summers one time. That's how I always remembered it. Uh, but there's some 80s reference with Mark Summers. But, uh, yeah, so, but send us, you know, what you think should have been, what, what was your personal most traumatizing moment, even if it wasn't in a kid's movie, but, you know, send us a kid's movie one and a real one, and, you know, like in another movie, like The Fly 2 with the dog. That still fucking traumatizes me. Nah. <laughs> that was a terrifying scene, especially as a kid. Uh, you know, so let us know what it is, avisit.gmail.com, all that fun stuff. Uh, back to the future this week, just a couple of things. I got a couple of movie recommendations. We'll do that first. Uh, the first one was I saw The Nice Guys with Russell Crowe and uh, what's his name? Ryan Gosling. Uh, highly recommend that one. It was great. Uh, there's another Shane Black action film, buddy cop film. Takes place in the 70s. Fantastic. Uh, Crowe and uh, Gosling are great together. Good chemistry. It's definitely... It can't, they could have like said that he, one of them was Riggs' dad or something and tied it into Lethal Weapon. It, it was so like... Because, of course, Shane Black wrote Lethal Weapon. Yeah. You know, so I mean, he has that... He knows how to write like a buddy flick. He also did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. You know, he's wrote, written tons of stuff. Uh as well as the sequel, Lethal Weapon 2. I don't know if he wrote three or four. Uh, so he knows what he's doing, but highly recommended. Great film. It's entertaining. It's funny. It's got good action. Highly, highly recommended. Like, as hmm. of now, like, if I had to make a top ten list for the year, it'd be on the top ten. Wow. Mainly because there hasn't been that many good films this year. <laughs> but it is, it is a, it's a great film. And then, uh, speaking of uh, other films that I know you've seen, Jesse, and actually... I wanted to see it when, it when I was hearing about it being made here locally, but then our mm. good friend Ben Wyatt watched it and from the uh, Asia Mania podcast, and you posted about it. I'm like, oh, I need to watch that. And it's got Silk Spectre in it, so Malin Ackerman. <laughs> so I watched Final Girls. Yeah. Uh, horrible CG. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but all movies made here have horrible CG. Yeah. Like the local house, whoever does that, and I probably know their name, but I'm not going <laughs> to say gonna it. not going to say it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, awful. I didn't expect it to be Last Action Hero with horror movies. So I like the sort of that kind of twist on it. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but it was potential, but it yeah, was... it, it didn't like. You could take they they could have taken that concept and like given it a couple of rewrites and done mm-hmm. a little more yeah, with it. Yeah, yeah. And it could it would have been really great. Like Autumn loved it. My wife she was like, the movie was cute. I'm like, whatever. Yeah. You know, I didn't hate. I didn't like think it was. It, it, yeah, it was middle of the road. It wasn't bad. It had some good ideas, but it it fell. You know, it could have been great. I think like there was a lot of Baton Rouge in it. Yeah, I'm like like you were saying on your post theater. Like, like oh, there's a varsity. There's oh, varsity. there's Government Street. I I ate that raisin cane yesterday. Yep. You know, like she wrecked in front of the Sonic. Yeah, <laughs> it's like right here. You know, we we're watching it. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure it's like that for movies in L.A. and stuff. So. Oh yeah, especially because I, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to been to L.A. several times. Like yeah, everybody knows the big landmarks. There are certain areas of the city where, like. Oh, that's like down by the valley. That's like, oh, that's like right by that. Like that tunnel you know, they use in every movie, like Back yeah, to the it's Future. In, uh, <laughs> Getty, not Getty, uh, the park. Griffith, Griffith Park. Yeah, mm. it's right there. That's where the Batcave is, too, from using tons of stuff. Uh, uh, 60s Adam West thing. Like, oh, that whole area was huge for filming stuff, obviously. And the observatory's right there. Uh, huge spot for tons of movies. You could just like go there and just walk around the park and, like, oh, this was shot here. This was shot here. Terminator 2 was over here. Roger, yeah. That's the Roger Rabbit and uh, Back to the Future tunnel. <laughs> Lots of stuff like that. I would definitely recommend it. Uh, it again, like it, it could, it really could have been a great spin on the horror movie like genre, like comedic horror type thing. Uh, but mm, fell short a bit. Oh, yeah. But could have, you know, they should have just made it. A, they should have made it a Friday the Thirteenth like 
exa- like they should have used the hockey mask or you know made it different or I don't know it could have done something I don't know yeah potential say. but didn't quite make it yeah but definitely worth watching uh, the in jokes with the movie stuff were great I thought not in jokes but the uh, like at the very end where the credits start rolling in the horizon oh like yeah she's yeah, standing yeah. there and it's you know it's nighttime and then like this bright light comes up she looks over and it's the credits. And those effects were okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it fit that because it's supposed to be an eighties. The car movie crash was shit. That was terrible. Like they should have yeah. just like gone to black or something and wasted money on that. Yeah, yeah. Gone was, to black or just do a head-on boom. Or just yeah, one <laughs> one crash. That's all you need. Yeah. Not like okay, yeah. we get it. Nobody, neither of them should be alive after that. Right. <laughs> uh, and honestly, the whole angle, I think, with her mom, I think that was kind of silly. Yeah. It, it, it gave too much of a heart to the movie. Like, doesn't you make it a drama comedy? That's probably why I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. I it, think was, so. it was uh, the part that appeals to the female yeah. audience. Whereas um, it just would have been a comedy, in the, and a horror. You know, I think would, that would have been much better in terms like. But maybe she wouldn't have liked it then. Yeah, maybe it would have. But been I would have liked it more. So that's all I care about. <laughs> okay. Fuck her. <laughs> Not literally. Get back, Jesse. Come back. But Jesse, maybe hey. you wouldn't have liked it more. That's what I'm maybe. saying. Maybe it would have been just the same, and then no one would have liked it. You it know? could have been. Well, I mean, it didn't go to theaters here anyway, so yeah. I don't think many people even seen it. But yeah, uh, I would recommend. Uh, Wait till it gets a little closer to you know October, and uh, rec- you know rent Final Girls. Don't buy it or anything. It's worth right. watching. Uh, not terrible, but Nice Guys. As of now, one of the ten best of the year, in my opinion. It's a great action comedy. Uh, it's it does one of those. It takes place in the seventies, and it feels like it. It's not like it's not like those anachronistic movies where it's supposed to take place in the eighties. But I mean, everybody's wearing nineties fashions, and, and nobody does the research or you know stuff like hmm. that. So definitely recommend that one. And in a sense, I do recommend Final Girls, but I think, you know, watch it, you know, when you're more in the mood for, a, you know, the season. Yeah, when, you you're, might... when you're looking for something to watch. Exactly. And to round it out, to tie into the 80s, uh, one of the biggest bands of the 80s came to New Orleans recently, and I got to go see him, Guns N' Roses. Uh, it is cliche that people come out of a concert and say, oh, it was the best concert I've ever been to. Uh, it was the best concert I've ever been to. Right. Yeah, I've been and, hearing it all over the place. And you know, and when I, whenever I hear people, like, we have a friend, who every time they go to a concert, the last one they went to is the best one they ever went to. I know. So, so that's why, that's why <laughs> I'm explaining this so well. Now, you know, I haven't seen too many. I haven't, I, I'm not a big concert person. When I was younger, we were, you know, if it came to New Orleans, we'd hopefully be able to get tickets before t- there was the internet, and you'd have to yeah. call or go, go to Ticketmaster. Mom, I need you to bring me Ticketmaster. I want to get tickets. You know, it was, a, it was different when we were younger. But anyway, you know, but I've seen Kiss live. You know, arguably the, one of the biggest, one of the biggest bands ever. You know, renowned for their stage show. Yeah. See, Nine Inch Nails, fantastic stage show. Uh, Guns and Roses played for two and a half hours. And granted, you know this, this, you know, you can, you know, Axel's voice isn't in its prime, but that motherfucker did not. None of slash, none of them stopped. Yeah, yeah. The entire time. Or they put it all out there I mean, every it, show. It, like these, you know, I, I, you hear like you know these other bands come out, they play for forty five minutes and they're off stage. Yeah, like every they structured their show to where like Duff McKagan had a, a song where he did with one of the, the uh, other guitarists who I forget his name, but he was the guitarist from Chinese Democracy, the album Guns N' Roses mm-hmm. album. So that gives Slash, you know, goes takes a break, but then but then like you know then Axel does a little piano number and then the other guys taking a break. So like there wasn't no like they had their encore part like every concert does. You know they walk off the first time, you know it's not the end of a concert. Right. They always come back, <laughs> but there was no like big breaks. I mean it just it. It just kept going and going and going. I mean, it was phenomenal. Uh, thankfully, the two songs that I hoped they would play, Civil War and Don't Cry, they played. I was a little scared because they knew Don't Cry till the encore. Right. Thankfully. 
but unfortunately for all of them, she just wanted to hear patience. They didn't do patience. Although what? they do, Crazy. which I was shocked because they did. Yeah. They did three songs off of Chinese Democracy. Thankfully, they did no songs off the Spaghetti Incident because that album is not good. <laughs> but they didn't do any songs off Lies, 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 which where Patience is from. Um, you know, you think that'd be one of their biggest hits, but yeah. uh, and they did three covers. They did several covers, but covers that were on Use Your Illusion, Knocking on Heaven's Door, that kind of stuff. Uh, they did a cover in the encore. They did a cover of the Seeker, the Who song, which you know a lot. You know, we talked about it before with like song remakes. Like you know, it's rare. Like a lot of people read like. Uh, Recently, Suicide Squad, uh, Panic at the Disco, cover Bohemian Rhapsody. It's not terrible, but you know what? You didn't. They didn't do anything different, so it yeah. sucks. You know, my, you know right, and also right, it's, right. You're, you're trying to remake a Queen song. First of all, ain't nobody can compete with Freddie Mercury, so no. don't even try. So you, you're gonna have to do something different with it. But they didn't. They played it really safe. Bad, re, you know, a remake for example, like a better word, remake of the song. But uh, Guns and Roses, like when they do a cover, which they have several on their albums, Live and Let Die, you know, Knock on Heaven's Door. They fucking own it when they do it. Mm. It's not, you know, they, but their version of The Seeker was always like, damn, like I, they need to do a live album so I can have a copy of that. It was like, just a, they fucking own it when they, when they do a cover. Wow. But yeah, uh, if they're coming to your neck of the woods, uh, get an American Express card with the pre sale option so you can get them before people start scalping them. Cause I don't know <laughs> this, you can, but you can actually resell. Here's what blows my mind you can resell your tickets on Ticketmaster.com now. Oh wow! But you can do it for over face value, which that I do make not sense. exactly. Because Autumn's like, "Oh, Hart's coming to one of the casinos around here," and like Autumn never wants to go to concerts. She's like, "I'd love to see Hart." I'm like, "Hmm, your birthday's coming up. I can get tickets, and you know, I'll give her the tickets for her birthday, and we'll go." Yeah, uh, yeah, sold out. And then like I saw the you know prices from fifty five to twenty dollars. Here's her tickets for sale on Ticketmaster: three hundred and twenty five dollars. Wow, bullshit. That's wow. not even one of the options. And that's in the fucking balcony at a yeah. casino show. Yeah. So, yeah, apparently you can actually sell tickets for whatever price you want on Ticketmaster.com. Apparently that, that's a thing now. But anyway. They're desperate. Uh, StubHub's killing them. I guess. <laughs> maybe. But uh, if you have an opportunity to go, even if you, if you, if you don't like Guns N' Roses, uh, or if, but if you, I mean, you should because they're one of the best rock bands in the world. I mean, you can't you cannot dispute that Slash is arguably one of the greatest guitarists, if not the best guitarist of all time. Oh, yeah. You know, there's few that you know, if if you someone says he's my favorite, I will not disagree. So Jimmy Page your favorite, I don't disagree. You know, there's certain ones like I can understand you saying number one. Uh Axel still got his fucking chops. I mean he can't hold he doesn't he didn't hold the note at the end of Don't Cry the whole like minute, but that motherfucker wailed for two and a half hours. If you got Slash's top hat, would would you wear it everywhere? No, because I'm not that cool. <laughs> it, would, it would be in a glass case. Uh, I heard he uh, gave one of his top hats to uh, his kid's school for an auction fundraiser. Oh, wow. So someone got it for a steal for like 1400 bucks. Yeah. Damn. That's awesome. Because uh, if he went public, that'd be a lot more, yeah, I imagine. But, double, I mean, at least double whatever they yeah. got for it. Uh, you said 1400 1400 Yeah, oh, 14000 Yeah, like, exactly. I mean, Rock Memorabilia is like, for like... Someone even if he dies of old he age, like Keith Richards, it wouldn't matter. I mean, yeah, as, as long as he, you know, I'm sure he has his own special ones that he gets made. Yeah, but I mean, You're just a closet full of. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the Prestige is a <laughs> little machine where he puts this, the original top hat and it makes a duplicate. So he has, yeah, he has a ton of them. But uh, like I said, I'm not. You know what I'm, I mean? We've been to several concerts since we've been together. You know, what I mean, like if if a big enough like, I can honestly say 1989 when Appetite for Destruction came out, me and my best friend jason orso 
my oldest best friend, I should say, like, I mean, we jumped on a trampoline to that album on mm. cassette and have to like reach over and like flip the cassette around. We would like fucking rock out jumping on a trampoline <laughs> to Appetite for Destruction. And then in junior high, Use Your Illusion one, like in Metallica's Black album, that was my life was Guns N' Roses and Metallica as far as musical taste. Yeah. And then grunge happened, Nirvana Pearl Jam. Then, you know, Guns N' Roses faded. They had a spaghetti incident. Nobody cared. And then they broke up. So it was like, I'll never see that band. You know? Right. Kirk Cobain shot himself. I never see Nirvana. You know, waiting for Pearl Jam to come back to an event that's not a fucking festival because I don't want to see him at a festival. Yeah. I want to see him in a more intimate setting. Yeah. Waiting for that. I know that'll happen because they, they don't fucking stop. So I'm just waiting. <laughs> you too. I need them to come back and not do a concert that's only available for outdoor stadiums because it's fucking stupid because the Superdome's indoor. Yeah. You know? So, but anyway, uh, if, you, if you're a fan of Guns N' Roses and you have the opportunity to go and you're thinking like, ah, you know, I don't want to... Where was s- it? Superdome. It was, okay. Yeah. Uh, our tickets were 155 each, 300, you know. Uh, we made a weekend out of it and stayed the night in New Orleans. So, you know, yeah. it was a good little two-day vacation, so to speak. Yeah. And anytime I go to a concert in New Orleans, I will stay the night now because we just walked back to the hotel and yep. went to bed. Autumn wasn't feeling good. Uh, Aunt Irma paid a visit during the middle of the concert, so I was like, I hope we don't have to leave because I'm not leaving. Uh, two MI, I know. But uh, <laughs> if they come close, you know, if they're touring and you're, and touring and you're like, ah, somebody's offering tickets, I don't care where they're at, it, they put on one of the best shows I've ever seen. Mm. And just, they gave it 110%, which was, that's all I wanted. I wanted to just give 100%, because anybody who knows Guns N' Roses knows that when they, back in their prime, like, they were chaotic. Like, Axel would punch a fan and the show would be over. Or he wouldn't even go on stage. Yeah. Like, my hope was just, everybody's going to show up and we'll at least get through an hour of music. And I'll be happy. Two and a half hours, didn't stop, wasn't dialed in. Axel, like, changed shirts like eight times. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, because he was wearing a jacket in, the, you know, in Louisiana, oh, so I mean, I imagine you're sweating through him or whatever. And he, one time he had a, a shirt that was the John Carpenter's a thing, so I had to applaud him on that. Nice. I was like, oh, my God, it's a thing shirt. That's awesome. But it was a phenomenal show. So again, I can't praise it enough. It honestly, like, again, I've seen Kiss, I've seen Nine Inch Nails, I've seen some of the big stage production like type acts that have toured lately. I mean, yeah. I, I don't see the pop stuff. I don't know what they, other things do. I, I never got to see U2 in their prom with like Zeropa or their big, big, big visual tours you know but guns and roses you know five guys a girl you know a uh, couple of screens but they fucking played their ass off and it was it was awesome i'm hoping they at least release a live cd or maybe even a dvd uh, a live version of the concert because that'd yeah. be one that i would get yeah just because they were that good live and i don't think anybody thought they would be i'm sure they knew slashes everybody knows slash hasn't stopped yeah since appetite for destruction with his snake pit or velvet revolver or whatever other projects he's doing. But, you know, everybody was worried about Axel. Nah, motherfucker still got it. Hmm. So all those fat Axel pictures from like seven <laughs> yeah. years ago, dude was in shape. <laughs> wow. And, you know, he I just thought broke... it was kind of recent, like the fat Axel pictures. A few years ago. Oh, what? Yeah. It oh. was some, some like Canada. It's around the time Chinese Democracy came out and they toured for that or something, I think. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait, what's that one? He's been dancing with Mr. Coldstone. That's hilarious. Of course, Mr. Brownstone from Appetite for Destruction. But, uh, (laughs) no, he looked, he, he was in good shape. Not, not Fat Axel. So, (laughs) highly, highly recommend. And rounding out this episode, uh oh, (laughs) these memes are hilarious. (laughs) Sweet piles of pie. I don't have to go home and like look at the, take me down to the bakery city where the pies have cream and the cakes are tasty. Those are awesome. 
There's a, I didn't realize Fat Axel was an entire meme with oh, like yeah. Guns N' Roses it lyrics. Keeps going and going. <laughs> Sweet pie of mine. <laughs> knock knock knocking on Golden Corral's door. Living that pie. Hilarious. That's awesome. <laughs> no, nah, but I, I mean, again, like he was chaotic as a front man even back in the day, but fucking killed it. But uh, yeah, next week rounding out this episode. Next week we'll be talking another animated film. Only like the fifth one we've ever done, I believe. <laughs> so funny. They are. Google, just Google Fat Axel. I think that's all you Google, and there's all the memes at the top. Oh, won't you please pass the rolls? <laughs> hey, yeah. That's so awesome. Uh, another animated film, we're doing Transformers the movie, which was, we'll talk more in depth about the death of Optimus Prime on that episode. Uh, and also, John Martinez, you know, we read your email last week. You, this was one you were looking forward to, so it's coming up next week, my friend. And just so everybody knows, if you do send an email, a lot of the time I don't usually respond to the emails unless it's something, like, via email, I should say, that, like, needs to be answered quickly or if it's a big question or something, because I like to talk about it on the air, and, and so it's like talking to you guys directly. So I said, oh, I sent him an email, and he didn't respond to me. Oh, I'm going to talk about it on air. So you got to listen, fool. So I keep you coming back. So you send mm-hmm. an email. Oh, is he going to talk about it this week or is it next week? Oh, oh. keep them hanging, you know, <laughs> whatever. But anyway, uh, our so, episode oh. should be coming out. What? And by the time days? this one's out. Yeah. The, uh, Three days, something like that. Our, uh, speaking of our plugs, uh, Jonathan Foreman and uh, James with Now First Nostalgia. Give them a listen. Our good friends just an hour down the road in Lafayette. And our good friends across the world, Ben, the Tasmanian Devil Wyatt. Uh, I guess I could just call him the Iron Podcaster Wyatt. Mm-hmm. Because in, ta- in Tasmania, in, in Tasmania, you can have the nickname Tasmanian Devil. Because I'd be like everybody's nickname. Oh, that's but true. you know, over if he came here or anywhere else, you know, since he's from Tasmania, oh, it's the Tasmanian Devil. But where he's at, can't you really? You know, I guess everybody's using that as a nickname. Let us Tasmaniac know, Tasmaniac podcast. Hey, there you go. <laughs> Everything Tasmania. Hey, oh, Ben, you can take that idea. I, can, I have no. We have no authority yeah. about that. So that's a, a free idea for you to just do the Tasmaniacs podcast. And you just talk about you know <laughs> everything going on in Tasmania. I'd listen. Well, if you keep doing it once a day, you're the Tasmaniac. Yeah. Yeah. Every single day. <laughs> Five-minute episodes. Tell you, Tasmania, old Miss McClurry ran off the road and hit a kangaroo. Ugh. She died on impact, but luckily the kangaroo's okay. Local news. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Are kangaroos even in Tasmania? Because I know they're, obviously they're in Australia, but, you know, I mean, Tasmania is like off on its own, like an island kind of thing. So I wonder if Ben's like, of course they are. He's, talk, he's like screaming as, well, I guess right now. Google says yes. yes. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. I knew that. I was just seeing if you did. The eastern gray kangaroo, also known as the forester kangaroo, found in northeastern and parts of central Tasmania. Second largest kangaroo in Australia after the bigger red kangaroo. This has mm. been your... Tasmaniac podcast for the day episode <laughs> of the week. Yeah, so, but uh, uh, Ben, uh, he's still, uh, by the time you listen to this, he's probably, yeah, he is still doing a podcast a day for the entire month of August so Ben the nice. Iron Podcaster Wyatt with Asia Mania give him a listen he does a lot of other podcasts as well he's a good dude uh, was fantastic talking to him but our guest episodes on his podcast will be up there soon and we'll go ahead and plug those uh, on our Facebook and if we get them linked to our Twitter too because <laughs> uh, Ben also became our unofficial our official uh, Twitter representative by tweeting about us I think that was <laughs> the first tweet I've ever seen that we did <laughs> at least in a long time so we appreciate it my friend and we look forward to uh, our episodes getting out so we can listen to them again. It was a good good talk. Yep. Uh, but until next time, we sadly mourn the loss of Optimus Prime and the rise of Judd Nelson as an Autobot. I am Trey Harris. 
Jesse Sedgley. Cowabunga! Motherfucker. This show and more on facebook.com slash awesomepods and follow us on Twitter at awesomepods.